Hello and welcome to Mother the Mother. I am McLean McGowan. This podcast is an offering for all women to gather energetically, sister to sister, mother to mother, to co-create a sacred space for healing, educating, and sharing as we journey through motherhood and womanhood. It is such an incredibly powerful moment in time to be a woman, and I thank you for showing up on behalf of yourself and for all of the women in your lives, past, present, and future, to honor our matriarchal lines, all who came before, and all who will come after. Jema. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Mother the Mother. I am McLean McGowan. And today's real talk, I wanted to talk about my birth stories, which is something I always want to hear from every woman I ever meet. It's such a fascinating portal into who we are as women and how we bring our babies in Earthside. And I just find it's always so fascinating how we all do it so differently. And the more that you are a mother, you also realize that the birthday is just a day. I mean, it is a big day and it is a big part of your child's story and it's a big part of your story and it is a day. And I feel like that's something really important for new mamas who have not birthed yet to hold deeply in their hearts is it's great to do the work, do your homework, do your prep work, get everything kind of in a row for what you want it to be. And then just allow the surrender and trust that your body will birth how it needs to and that your baby will come earthside how it needs to as well, which can sometimes be a hard pill to swallow. I especially find that to be true with women who are very, very set in it being one way, i.e. a natural home birth um, and doing all the work and all the preparation and then having it end in a hospital birth or C-section can feel pretty devastating. All that work and preparation that you did during your pregnancy to work up to a home birth, to get in that zone, that is not wasted. That is all beautiful self-work and self-healing. So I just want all of you women that might be feeling that way to hold that in your heart. Really important before I go into my birth stories is to acknowledge that this is not your story, especially if you're pregnant. You and your baby have your own unfolding that will be revealed in its due course and due timing. So before I begin, if everyone can just close your eyes, if you're able right now, if it's safe to kind of come into your body with eyes shut. Now let's just take a deep inhale through the nose. If you're not pregnant, you can hold at the top for a couple of beats. If you're pregnant, go ahead and exhale out. And then when you're ready, exhaling all the air out of your mouth. If you'd like to do that a couple more times, feel free. It's a really beautiful way just to ground down into your body. Most of us are going from one thing to the next, to the next, to the next all day. So just coming into your breath can really, really connect you back to yourself, especially if you've got a lot of little kids running around. And if you are pregnant, please take the left palm to your heart space, right palm to your belly, connecting your two heartbeats as one. Taking a moment to connect to your baby. And gently creating a little bubble around you and baby where the stories that will be shared here are not your story. Allowing only what is best for your highest good and best for your baby's highest good to land in your ears, in your consciousness, and for whatever is not serving you to gently float away. All right. So I think it's important to share my birth stories as I start this podcast because it's so much of why I am doing this work. It led me into this work. The birth of my first daughter, Jemima, who is just about seven and a half years old now, 
is what got me into becoming a postpartum doula. And I had to go through a lot of pain and suffering to get there and to get here. And I want as much as I can to reduce other women's suffering and isolation. And with that, I also hold simultaneously that every woman has their own journey and their own lessons that they need to learn. And pregnancy and birth and postpartum and well into motherhood forever and ever and ever, we all have many, many lessons that I believe karmically we are meant to go through this lifetime. And it's a journey and the more that we can acknowledge that it's a wild ride. And once you get used to one thing, it shifts. And then it's another thing. And all the things that you worry about and prepare for and try to control and micromanage, it's usually other things that pop up that we aren't prepared for. And that can be really challenging and it continues to be challenging. Anywhere from breastfeeding, you think it's going to be one way, it's another thing. You think your birth is going to be one way, it's another way getting baby on a sleep schedule, you know, it goes on and on, getting baby into the preschool you really feel like they need to be in, on and on. I mean, motherhood is such a spiritual practice day by day and often hour by hour, truly. And I think if you are not pregnant yet or you are newly pregnant, just getting into that space of that there's so much that you can't control and the more that you acknowledge that early on, the better you will be. 100%. You're just going to get into this flow of a new life, the old life of controlling and knowing exactly what's going to happen in your day. Uh, That will be a thing of the past. And you know what? It's better that that's a thing of the past because honestly, control issues and all the anxiety that comes with it, it's just a way of false protection. I mean, we're really not controlling anything. We think we are and we spend a lot of energy scurrying around trying to do that. But um, it really, it really isn't a way to live. It's not a great way to live. Um, anyway, sorry, I'm going off on a tangent. That's the other thing about this podcast is it's many, many layers when discussing anything about birth and postpartum and motherhood. It's all kind of separate categories, but it's all within the same thing. And so it is hard to have a linear conversation because everything kind of bleeds into the next, bleeds into the next, bleeds into the next. And there are various layers for all of those things. So um, I will try and keep on track as much as possible. But also when I start talking, I just want to acknowledge the different pieces that I feel need to be discussed. So, okay. When I got pregnant with Jemima Brooks, she um, was very wanted. I knew that we were going to start trying to have a baby soon. Um, My husband is significantly older than me. And so we kind of assumed, oh, it'll take like a year, year and a half to get pregnant. Um, I was not on birth control, but I was checking my ovulation with that little pee on the stick and put it in the machine. I think it was clear blue easy. And, but I wasn't actively trying to get pregnant, meaning I was charting my ovulation, kind of figuring out my cycle because I'd never been in tune with that part of my life. I would say I never really liked getting a period. I did not embrace that part of me. So this was my first time of tracking anything with that. I'd been on birth control a little bit, maybe a year and gotten off of it. I hate being on hormones, so that really hadn't worked. And I'd been on birth control pills younger in my life when I was younger, but I don't honestly even remember when that was. And it wasn't for very long. And I'd never been pregnant before. So anyway, I wanted a girl and I felt very called to have a girl. I didn't know if I was just projecting or if I was destined to have a girl, but my whole life I'd wanted one girl. That's what I was to my parents. I have half brothers, but... Uh, I was the only of my parents' union. And my whole life, I knew I was going to have a girl. I just, I wanted a girl. That that was the end. There was no discussion of a boy. And I love boys. I'd nannied for lots of boys, had great relationships with boys, but I really knew I wanted a girl. And so I was using my ovulation for that as well to know uh, when to have sex, when not to have sex. 
And you can go down a rabbit hole for any of you that are interested in this, but I forgot the guy's name, but there's a way where you can kind of figure out, it's not foolproof, obviously, but girl sperm live longer and are slower, where the sperm-carrying boy genes are faster and they die faster. So they're like the sprinters and the girl sperms are the marathoners. So say you're ovulating on day, let's just say five. That's not really how it works, but let's just say five. So if you want a girl, you would have sex maybe on day one and then not after that. So they'll be in there longer and hopefully make it in before dying. The boys, like if you wanted a boy, you would have sex day four or five. Like get them in there fast, get it done. So for that specific month, I knew that that day that we had sex was like, this is the last day of this cycle we're going to have sex because I'm going for the girl. You know, didn't feel pregnant or anything. And then um, one Saturday morning, I was on my way to teach a yoga class. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to take an early pregnancy test. I'm just going to take it. So I was starting to get obsessed. Even when you try not to get obsessed, I was starting to get obsessed because I feel like once that light switch flips over, as a woman of not trying to get pregnant, like with all of your might to then wanting to be pregnant or thinking about wanting to be pregnant, it's really hard not to become obsessive about it uh, because it's just such a new thing. And you're like, is it happening? When is it happening? Oh my God, what? Blah, blah, blah. So took an early pregnancy test. It looked negative. I was like, okay, I was a little disappointed. And I remember a friend had told me, you know, the early pregnancy test, sometimes you do it and then it takes 15, even 20 minutes for the line to show up. So I'd thrown it in the trash. And then when I was about to leave the house, I was like, you know what? I'm just going to look in the trash. I'm just going to pull it out. And I looked at it and there was the faint pink double line, which means pregnant. And I was like, oh my God. I went and taught my class. My husband wasn't home. I think he was at a soccer game. And I taught my class. I was so preoccupied, came home. And it was just so funny because I was all over the place already hormonally. And then we went out and got more pregnancy tests and they're pregnant, pregnant, pregnant. And so that's how Jemima was conceived. And it was just a really joyous time. About week five is when the nausea set in and I was pretty sick for seven full months, meaning I could barely eat. I lost 10 pounds my first trimester. I looked so pale and weak and gaunt. And um, I was so happy to be pregnant. I was so happy to have her and felt like shit. I would literally like lie in bed reading to-go menus online of different restaurants because I couldn't eat anything. I drink a lot of Coke and ginger ale and crackers. And now I know more looking back. I have the um, MTHFR gene mutation of my liver. And so I think that contributed a great deal to my nausea and sickness because I was taking the wrong kind of folic. I was taking folic acid instead of folate in my prenatals. So I think I was pretty much like poisoning my system unknowingly. It got better around seven, seven and a half months. And then it felt great because I could actually walk a bit. I had really bad sciatica. Um, So this pregnancy was very humbling to me because I thought, oh, I'll be hiking every day. I'll be drinking my liter of green juice, which I was really religious about at the time. You know, this is going to be the most beautiful, healthy pregnancy. And I was very humbled because I couldn't do any of that. The nausea is... It's so hard to explain unless you've experienced it, but it is like having the worst hangover and the stomach flu with zero break for seven plus months. Like that's that's how it was for me. So it was a very internal process. I was very quiet. I chanted a lot. My spiritual practice, I meditated a lot. Didn't really see a lot of people. It was... uh, couldn't even really watch TV. I would just lie in bed a lot of the time and meditate and think and chill. Uh, It was a very slow, slow time in my life. Then I really wanted a home birth, but 
my husband and I live in a condo and it just, we were so new to this whole world and it, that felt like a really big undertaking to do a home birth. So we found midwives uh, that I knew and had a birth center. So that was our plan to have a birth center birth. You know, looking back, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty, and there were so many lessons throughout that time that some I was taking and learning, others I was not. There were a couple of red flags that maybe it wasn't quite the right partnership with my care, uh, but I didn't really know better and did not have a backup doctor that I really felt connected to. I'd met with the one that worked with the midwives and my husband and I went and had an interview with him. And even when we left, we were like, thank God we're not gonna have to work with him because he's blah, blah, blah. Was not a fan. And looking back, I would never do that. I would have my backup be someone that I really like and respect. End up having very quick labor come on. Started about 3 a.m. I was 41 weeks to the day. I knew I was in that portal. I didn't want to be around anyone. I just wanted to be in a dark room. About 3 a.m. I started with contractions. By 6 a.m. we were on the way to the birth center. My husband and I had been doing, uh, he was doing massage on me in the shower and as they started and then we got in the car and our doula met us at the birth center. I was walking steps up and down the stairwell, trying to drink coconut water, even though when I'm in that that sphere, like food, can't even look at food. Even like for like 12 plus hours, I could not even look at food. I was trying to make myself drink to stay hydrated. Came on really, really fast. By about 10 a.m., I was 10 centimeters dilated. So that's only 3 a.m. to 10 a.m. And then when they broke my water, they saw it was full of the merconium, like really thick pea soup. So they said, you know, it, we really think you should transfer to the hospital. And in that space, I was just like, yes, you know, whatever. I wasn't even really able to think through anything. It was just like, we need to go to the hospital. You need to go to the hospital. Okay, let's do it. But that was harrowing. Driving in the driving in the car to the hospital. It was about 20 minutes to Cedars. And I was sitting in the back of the car with my husband, holding on to that, you know, that arm thing above the window that you hold on to. I can't even think of what that's called, but that handle. Because I couldn't sit down. My water was broken. I was 10 centimeters dilated. And I just thought, wow, this is it. I'm dying. I'm totally dying. And I remember my husband being like, just keep your eyes open. Stay stay with me. Stay with me. And um, at that point, I really wanted to just escape my body. So by the time we got to Cedars, I was screaming to anyone for drugs. Like I remember seeing a janitor in the hallway. I was like, give me drugs. Get there. And everyone thinks that my birth is imminent because of, I guess, you know, how my physicality was, 10 centimeters dilated, the water broke in. I guess it looked like she was coming, but my body was in such shock. I knew she wasn't going to come. I mean, they couldn't even find a vein on me to, to get the needle in. That's how my body reacts to things. It like sucks up in on itself. But I had to fight them for six hours to give me meds. And it's interesting because we often hear the opposite, like, oh, they're just going to apply everybody with drugs immediately. And that was not my case. And it's just interesting that things often go different ways than what we expect. But I was screaming for meds for that entire time. The doctor kept trying to help her come down. You know, hands were in me a lot. It just, I felt like a very scared animal. And there were many nurses in the room. The midwives were in there. Then they, you know, I was kind of like, you can go. My mom was in there. And I adore my mom, but I, I really felt her worry and her being scared, you know, and that wasn't very helpful. My husband, who we had uh, done three months of Bradley Method, he was my big coach, but he was even feeling kind of overrun by all the differing opinions and all the different women. And so he was kind of like fading into the background. And my doula, who was amazing, was there. Um, but I really did feel alone. I mean, it is a journey within yourself. And I, the biggest takeaway from me was I just felt like we never really discussed what if the plan doesn't go to plan. We never really 
dissected that and I wish we had. I wish I'd had a safe word that was like non-negotiation. If I say this word, get me the fucking epidural. And finally, after hours and hours and hours, a nurse, I heard a whisper and she was like, you know, she can get an epidural. My mom was like, she said you can get an epidural. And I was like, get me the fucking epidural. And they didn't want to give me a lot because they knew that she'd be coming soon. So they gave me a teeny bump of it. And I was able just to rest for about 20 minutes. My doula was there holding my hand. I was like, nope, not enough. Need more. Gave me a little bit more. And then the doctor, you know, the doctor had stepped out. Then he came back in and he was like, okay, let's really push. And I forgot to mention before the epidural, we really had worked on what the pushing feels like because it felt very different than what I was thinking it was going to feel like. It feels like the baby's coming out of your bum. And it is a very odd feeling. So we'd worked through that. Like, no, this is the way to push. So I felt like when I had the epidural, I knew, I'd already knew like what that felt like. And uh, so I was able to push her out quickly, even with the epidural. But I'd said to him, put that suction on her head. And he was like, okay, if you can get her a certain, you know, certain way down, I don't remember what he said, but if you can get her a little bit more down, we'll put the suction. And now the more I know, the suction scares me. There have been some horrific things with the suction, but it worked. And it's just because what basically what happened is she would come down a little bit and then she'd suck way back up and she was just not coming down the birth canal. And I think mostly that was because I was so petrified in my body. Uh, I was not allowing for the release and the opening. But after a couple pushes in that, she came right out. And the second she came out, she cried and they took her over to the little table. She had not breathed in any of the merconium, which was the fear. That's why we had transferred. She'd never had any problem breathing or heart rate or anything um, during the labor. And they, you know, just wiped her up. She came over to me, got on the boob immediately, even after the drugs. And in that moment, I felt so relieved and so happy that I was just like, this all happened perfectly. This is just way the way it was supposed to go. I'm not mad. You know, this is this is how it is. And I also was, you know, medicated, which felt really good. I remember looking over at the um, anesthesiologist. And I was like, hey, he was like, yeah, yes. I was like, you are so awesome. And he was like, um, thank you. And I just kept going on. I was like, no, really, man, like you're so awesome. I'm such a lightweight when it comes to drugs. So I felt really happy and healing was pretty easy for me. I was almost 34 at the time. The postpartum healing was easy, even though you know, it's a whole story, but the the physical healing, like the vaginal healing, I'd gotten 40 something stitches because of the hands up in me trying to pull her down. So that was pretty gnarly. Um, and that trauma was kept in my body. And that was something I needed to clear. But as far as the actual healing during that first six weeks, it was pretty good. And especially being that I did not honor my first 40 days at all. I was driving two days later. My husband went to work the next day. I was not eating warm foods. All I wanted was pumpkin pie from Earth Cafe and hot chocolate and water. That's all I would eat pretty much. And, you know, I was really happy. I loved being a mom, but I felt, you know, I felt alone and I just kind of felt like, oh, this is being a mom now. And I'm just on this new planet by myself. Uh, I was on pain pills. So that first week was like really chill and woomy and I just laid in bed and nursed and watched Breaking Bad, which looking back, that was not the best thing to be watching, but I was happy. I felt happy and I am someone that doesn't like to ask for help and I feel like that is a huge part of this journey and why I now am such a caretaker for others and want to be that help is because you know, if we don't know that we can or we don't allow ourselves or if our childhood doesn't allow, I feel like especially if you're a child of alcoholics or a child of drug addicts, you know, we're so used to doing everything on our own or feeling like we are doing it on our own that we don't know how to ask for help. And that's been something that I've had to overcome. 
And the healing took a couple of years, honestly, to heal emotionally and spiritually. And like my husband didn't even know until about a year and a half out the depth of my anxiety. The way it looked for me was I never slept. I had a very hard time sleeping ever. We lived in a loft. So we had a pony wall, like a half wall in our bedroom. I was petrified that she was going to fall over that. We've now made it into a full wall, but that was a whole, whole thing. But I was just so kind of uh, adrenalized and I couldn't let go. I couldn't let down. I felt you know, just so hyper vigilant that I had to watch her every single breath. She also had lip and tongue tie, which I did not know. And we did not get them fixed because we didn't know she had them. And so she also fed every 45 minutes around the clock for like six months. So it was, it was challenging. And uh, we traveled a ton. I did not have proper boundaries in place around that. You know, the things we're doing were fun and seeing a lot of family, but it took its toll on me. And looking back, I don't even know how I survived it, honestly. My adrenals were so tanked that I I don't I really don't know how I got through it. Um I was very anemic. I looked really worn down. Uh and then I did I knew I needed to do some deeper healing. So I got into therapy. I did this kind of, I don't even remember the name of it. It was, they do electrodes on your forehead and try to kind of rewire um, some feedback loops. What ended up being really healing for me was working with Kimberly Johnson of Magamama, who was a friend of mine. And I put off going to her for a couple of years, honestly, till I think Jemima was four and a half. So it was quite a few years, but I went to her and that was, a really big part of my healing to finally release the trauma from my physical body. And so looking back, there were many red flags that I was not looking at that I think along the way set me up for my birth. I was really attached to one midwife that was not on call and that was that was pretty crushing. And I don't honestly think I was ready for the, well, it's hard to say. If, if they hadn't broken my water and seen the merconium, I could have birthed at the birth center pretty quickly. I don't know. And I will never know that answer. But having now known what entails a birth out of the hospital, I don't quite know if I was ready to do that with my first birth. And I'll never really know. And that's something that's really interesting about a woman's birth story is it's it's evolving. It's an evolving thing because your relationship with that truth changes. So it's, for me at least, it's not this static, factual thing because your birth, the way you felt it is gonna be different than what your partner thinks your birth was or your midwife or your doctor. There, there's so many different layers to it. And my relationship with that birth continues to change and I still get downloads about it, about lessons that I was meant to learn from it. And it also made me the woman that I am today. So I don't look back and regret it. I can have feelings of sadness um, that I wasted time, that I wasted years of not being a productive human for myself, for my family. Uh, as I want to be. I, I mean, I was a productive human, but I wasn't I wasn't flying high, which I wish that I had been able to, you know, I wish that I could have circumvented a lot of that suffering. But at the same time, that is 100% why I'm a postpartum doula. So I'm grateful that I have my life's work now. And so moving on, did not want another baby. I was hashtag one and done. Whenever people would ask me, when are you having the next one? I would get really offended. And, you know, people like to give you advice about having a second, a second one um, unsolicited. A lot of people like to do that. And I was a, like I said, a single. And so that was kind of my quip. Well, I was one and I loved it. So 
I had a great life. Thanks. Got to travel a lot, got to ride horses, had a pony. You know, I had a lot of things that if I was sharing with another sibling, I wouldn't have had. So I was really happy with that arrangement. My husband wanted more, but also, you know, as we had healed, knew how much I had suffered and he did not want me ever, you know, going through anything close to what I'd experienced before. So he wanted a happy, mentally healthy wife and mother to his child and friend, et cetera. So, you know, he he never pressured me, but I knew he really wanted another one and it was in his consciousness and in his heart. And maybe once a year we would discuss it and I would be like, mm, don't think so. Then there was something though. There was a little girl and I felt her around me. I felt her in my auric field and I would talk with her and I just could not get clear whether she was a guide in this lifetime, if she was part of my journey or if she was a little soul that was meant to come down to me. And it didn't freak me out. It was just more interesting. I was like, hmm, okay, TBD. And um, that was for a couple of years. And then in healing from Jemima's birth, you know, I'd fantasize about the dream home birth that I'd always wanted. And then that started growing. And I was like, okay, well, I can't just have a baby to get the home birth that I want because there was no guarantee, as we know, that that would ever happen, that I'll get the home birth that I want. And then I'm stuck with another baby that I may or may not want. Like that, no, that can't happen. But it was very strong. It was very, very strong. And then maybe for about, I don't know, eight months to a year, my husband and I started talking about it. And I'd have one day where I was like, 100% no, we're not having another one. And then I'd have a day where I was like, I don't know, like maybe I'm open to it. But it never was like, yes, we're doing this. And um, then Christmas, a little over two years ago, we'd gone through kind of a big, I don't know what the word to use exactly, but we'd gone through a big thing in our marriage and it was about a month, but I felt energetically like there was a death happening in our relationship and possibly I wanted to leave the relationship and if we stayed together, it would be moving forward in a new way. But it was a very energetic thing. Like I couldn't even really put words to it. And then a month, about two months later was our seven-year wedding anniversary. So, you know, in the cycle of seven, it made sense that we were going through this big shift and upgrade and up-leveling together. And over that Christmas, I remember we were on a long hike. We were in Colorado. We were walking my favorite snowy path and really talking about what that would look like because now I had my work. I was so passionate about Jemima was in school, you know, we're really, life was getting easy. She was such an easy kid and she was five and, you know, it was all starting to really roll out and get it so much easier and fun and travel. And, and so having a baby was going to be a really big shakeup to that. And we were talking about like the details, what would this look like for my work? And David was like, you know, if we do this again, it's going to be so different for you. You're going to have the support, you know, we're going to really circle around you. And I concurred. I was like, yeah, if I, if we do this again, if I get pregnant, just prepare to like throw money at me, throw money at my healing. Like I'm doing all the things I didn't do last time. I'm getting the care I want, no questions asked. And it felt kind of exciting, but still really nerve wracking to think of taking that leap and trying again. So the day that we were, flying back to LA. We we're at the Aspen airport and the flight was overbooked. So we decided, oh, we'll just stay another night and get, you know, all these free travel points. And um, that morning I'd woken up and I felt nauseated. And the first thing I thought was like, oh man, I know that nausea. I told David, he's like, no, there's no way you're pregnant. Went to the airport, come back home. I was like, you know, I'm just going to run out to the uh, drugstore go get a test. And it was really funny because the pharmacy there, it's like a liquor store and a pharmacy. And I was getting my husband non-alcoholic beer and V8 juice, which I was drinking like by the gallon, spicy V8 juice. Uh, that should have been a sign, a tip off. And um, 
getting a couple pregnancy tests and the guys were like, uh, so, I mean, congrats or like, good luck or, you know, it was really this awkward moment with men. And they're like, I mean, if you want it, I hope it goes that way. If you don't want it, I hope it doesn't happen. And I was like, thanks. Yeah, I don't know. I came home, took the test, was pregnant. And I just remember calling. I was like, David, can you come up here for a minute? And he just started laughing. Like he knew immediately. And we were just in disbelief. We're just like, oh my God. Uh, This was a completely, completely unplanned. And again, I didn't really know my cycle. I'd taken an IUD out three months before, maybe even two months. I can't remember. But I'd gotten the IUD straight after Jemima. That's a whole other topic, by the way, which I'll be discussing. But I'd taken it out myself. One day I was like, this thing is coming out of my body right now. So I YouTubed it and pulled it out and it was fine. So yeah, I was pregnant and in shock. And I you know, had all these clients booked for the next couple months. So I was rocking into work, nauseated and you know, I didn't really want to talk about it, but I also didn't want my clients to think I had the stomach flu and was showing up to work just on the off chance that I had to like run to the toilet and vomit. So I had to have that conversation. You know, I I look pale. I'm fine. I feel fine. I'm just going to sit here and drink this Coke while I'm with you. And all my clients were so supportive and so sweet about it. It was really, it was really cool to actually be in service to women and their babies while growing this like this little teeny baby in me. From the get go, I was just excited. We were so excited. And Again, really, really felt like I was having a girl, really, really wanted another girl. Now you can find out the sex so much earlier. With Jemima, we had to wait till 20 weeks blood test. Now you can wait 11 weeks, which is really nothing. So that was super exciting. So knew or thought I wanted Davy, the midwife, who had long, a whole other part of this conversation, but I had originally wanted her before I had Jemima, then went another direction. But I knew if I'd ever had another baby, it was going to be Davy because I love her. I love her. I love this woman. And she works a lot with Dr. Crane, who I also love. He is OG. He's amazing. Uh, God, I just cannot say enough amazing things about him. He's like an old midwife in a male's body and wanted him for backup. And then when I really started kind of working through it, I couldn't make a decision, which was so shocking. But I was so traumatized by having to transfer to the hospital that part of me was like, maybe I should just be at the hospital so I don't have to transfer to the hospital. And then I thought I wanted to have a home birth with Dr. Crane. And then working through that, then I was like, well, if I'm going to do a home birth, I really need to be with a midwife. Like that, that's the energy I need. So, but it took me a couple of weeks and I worked with Anna Verwal, who's this amazing seer. She's incredible. She's a doula. She lived in LA a long time. She's back in the Netherlands and you can do Skype calls with her, which I highly recommend if you have any birth trauma of your own or your mother had with you or your grandmother's any known trauma and beliefs that you feel like has been passed down through your lineage. She's an amazing person to work with and talk with. Um, She's also a birth photographer. So she, and I'd done workshops with her and always felt really connected with her. She can really track issues, even with the, the man, the father around our own births and then how we birth. So my midwife, Davey, when I couldn't make a decision, she was like, you need to talk to Anna to see if you're going to be with me or Dr. Crane or how you want this to go down and just 100% be in alignment. So I did an amazing call with her and so many things came up, which I'll share in another podcast because it's a, lo- a deep dive and discussion. It's a long, long story. But she really helped me get clear. And so I decided, okay, Davy, And that was amazing. And that was around maybe 23, 24 weeks when I officially went on with them or with her. And I'd had a really easy pregnancy. I was still nauseated actually quite a bit, probably till like 20, 22 weeks. But I was able to eat. And the beauty is I was able to exercise, which for my mood was so huge to be able to move this time because before I had not been able to. So I was very diligent about walking three to five miles a day, which really made me feel great. 
over the summer before I gave birth, I gave birth September 3rd. So that summer we were at the beach for seven weeks. So I swam in the ocean every day, walked, you know, usually five miles, minimum three miles a day. Just felt so good in my body, so strong. And um, again, I went inward. I didn't want to do any prenatal yoga classes at all, which I'm a prenatal yoga teacher. So you'd think I'd want to, but I didn't want to read any books. I didn't really want to talk to many people about it. I didn't go to any pregnancy groups or circles. It was just very inner work with me. And to the point where basically all my best friends or most of my best friends are birth doulas. And I didn't even know if I wanted a birth doula. I couldn't decide on who and if I even wanted one. Uh, A large part of me just wanted to birth alone in my closet without anybody. I'm glad that didn't happen, but I really, really wanted this to be something for me and for me and David to go through. And Anna had stated that in our session. She said, this is such an opportunity that has come for you and your husband to bond on a karmic level. And we did. And it was so healing and so beautiful to our relationship. And he was 100% on board with my home birth. Second time around, he was just so confident in me and knowing that I knew it was best for my body and our baby. And so I just got in warrior mode. And I really think if you're going to have a home birth, you have to get in that warrior mode. You have to want it so badly that you're going to fight for it because home birth is no fucking joke. And I don't say that to scare anybody and none of this is to scare anybody, but I, you know, my whole intention is to be real and real talk with all of you. And if you're wavering about a home birth or not, chances are you're really not prepared for what a home birth entails because there is not the choice at home for the meds. And if you have a subconscious belief that being home is not a safe place to birth a baby, that fear will bubble up. I tell you that 100%. So if you are pregnant, just know there's a lot of work to be done around this question of home birth or no home birth. And I knew that too. I knew I was going to prepare myself in body, mind, and spirit as much as I can and then be able to surrender to it and be okay with what needed to happen. And that took a lot of work too. It really did. And, um, but I got there and, you know, we all think our babies are coming earlier. Most of us, Jemima, I was like, she's coming 38, 39 weeks because I was so ready to have her out at 37 weeks. This time, second baby, it's going to be early, probably 38 weeks. And I remember one of my friends being like, just don't get attached to that. And I was like, I know. I was so annoyed. I was like, I know I work with my clients all the time and my baby's coming early. Cut to, she came on the dot at 40 weeks. So, you know, still walking my five miles every day, feeling great, getting chiropractic work, just really in flow. So excited. A couple of days before birth, I had a big cry day where... I really mourned being just with Jemima. It it set in the finality of that chapter of my life. And it is a deep mourning. And um, I allowed myself to feel all those feelings. And then we had a couple of days of just really fun girl time after school and girl dates. And, um, you know, obviously my husband and I had spent most of my pregnancy really connected with her and talking about all of this and how we were going to do our best to still have each one of us one-on-one time with her. The three of us together, we'd still have that trio time and we worked through a lot of it. And she really was so excited. And actually, when she was about three, three and a half at the breakfast table one day, she said, out of the blue, I can't wait till my baby sister comes. And I nearly like spit my coffee out. And I was like, hmm. She's like, yeah, my baby sister's going to come. We're going to have bunk beds. I'm going to teach her all the things I know. And I'm going to like help potty trainer. And I'm going to cook for her. And we're going to go to school together. And I was like, babe, you know, that may not really happen because mommy and daddy don't think they want to have another baby. You know, we just love you so much. We just want you. She's like, no, I'm having a baby sister. And then, you know, we kind of let it go. And then every 
couple of months to a year, she'd bring it up again. I was like, mm, I don't know about that. So I feel like she and Goldie Wolf really were connected um, in the stars and caught each other in. So throughout my pregnancy, we talked about her being here and preparing her for it and watching birth videos and she really wanted to be here. And then the day before my my birth with Goldie Wolf, she had her best friend's birthday party, which was great because I was actually in labor. I was in early labor for about 20 hours. And so she went to the party and I went and walked my two or three miles on the treadmill. I went to the chiropractor and um, they kept checking in with me and said, you know, she can stay for dinner. Okay, great. She can spend the night. And then we're like, well, she really wanted to be home here with us for the birth. We talked to her on the phone. Then my husband drove over to the friend's house, had a conversation with her. She was totally cool about meeting her sister the next day and not being here. And I'm so glad that it happened that way because I really needed to be primal. And I feel like if she was here, I'd be wanting to protect her. And I would not have let myself go to the depths I needed to go. And I also feel like my husband would have been concerned with her. And I really needed him being concerned with me. So that all worked out really, really beautifully and organically. And um, so like I said, my birth, my labor started about 5 a.m. on Saturday morning. And I had just gotten up early and I just said to Dave, I was like, yeah, it's happening today. And then Jemima, she never wakes up that early. She ran to my room. She's like, baby's coming today. And so we're like, okay, it's on. Like second baby, baby is coming. And poor Davey came like four times that day because they kept accelerating and speeding up and then slowing way back down. And uh, like I said, I walked, I went to the chiropractor, ate, just tried to chill, rest as much as I could. I couldn't really sleep, but I could rest and just lie on my bed with my headphones watching Netflix. And um, then at about 3 a.m., it came on fast. And Davey had said that with second timers, especially it'll, it can be slow, slow, slow. And then once it turns, it'll be fast. And that's what happened. So at 3 a.m., it came on and I was laboring on the bed, like still pretty chill. I was wearing just a sweatshirt and didn't really know if I wanted any extra support besides Davey and my husband. Davey came about 3 a.m., one of my besties was in Ojai with her sister about to give birth any moment. And she, I knew, would have driven down, but I didn't want to ask that of her. And just in the off chance that her sister went into labor, it just felt, it felt like not the right choice. And then my other best friend's birth doula, she was heavily pregnant and had her own stuff going on. I knew she was due for a birth. So that didn't feel right to call on her during the night. And I couldn't even make a decision about it. So luckily my husband just texted the other option. I didn't even know that he did. And she rocked up around 4.30. I was already in transition by then. So from about 3.30 to 4.30, I was in the birth pool in the other room. And it was it was hardcore. I mean, I have never felt those sensations before. And I will use the word pain. It felt painful to me. I was sitting on my heels in hero's pose, just kind of body draped on the side of the pool. And it was, it was hardcore and it was, but I was open to it. And so it was fast and my body opened, but it took so much mental courage. My husband was there with me and kind of putting water on my back. And uh, I could not, once I had transitioned, I couldn't even open my eyelids. I was just so in it. And then when Catherine came, she was putting cool rag on my head and my back, which felt amazing. And um, I couldn't really speak. I could just scream, I can't and fuck. Those were what I was saying. <laughs> and the assistant to Davey, Lisa, who was a friend as well, who I wanted to be here, she was really beautiful and um, bringing me back because I was just hitting that victim mode. And in my brain, even though I couldn't talk, I was like, why didn't I get a planned cesarean? Why am I not at the hospital with Dr. Crane? What the fuck? Why did I decide this? This is bullshit. It's too late now though. And um, and really calling out painful memories so I could know that I'd gotten through other painful things. Like I'd run, after the death of my father, I ran the LA Marathon with a busted knee. And it was 
painful. It was really painful. And so I was calling on that pain to be like, I got through that pain so I can get through this pain. And um, Lisa was amazing though, because when I'd be like, I can't, I can't. She was like, you are, you are doing it. And this is what you chose. You chose to be here. You chose to do this. So do it. And it was really that fierceness I needed. And um, and then when they could tell that, I guess I was 10 centimeters dilated. They put like the little mirror under under you. And um, she's like, okay, we're going to move you to the toilet. You need to go to the bathroom. And I was like, I can't, I can't move. What are you talking about? And what I know now is they basically were kind of mind fucking me to move so that she could move through my pelvis more. So I got out of the pool. They, you know, lugged me out crawled to the toilet. And in so doing, the baby, her head was able to move through my pelvis, through my motions of crawling. And they could see this, um, I forgot what it's called, um, but it's a purple line that goes up your bum crack when the baby is moving through your pelvis, like up to your sacrum area. So they could see that that was happening. So they knew I was really close. They got me on the toilet uh, I remember just like clawing into Lisa. I, was sc- I mean, I was screaming like a banshee this whole time, by the way. And I hate screaming. I do not like public displays of emotion. I'm much more of like quiet, secretive person. And I really let it rip this time. Screaming a lot, which helped. And I recommend. So then they knew when they got me on the toilet that she was coming like, okay, we're going to move you to your bed now. And I was like, what? I can't. And so I was on my tippy toes kind of being like led dragged with my my hands over other people's shoulders. I bit my husband's chest. I don't know why. I was just like in this primal mode. Like I was an animal. Got to my bed and all I was screaming was out. I was like, out, 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 out. That's all my birth video. And, um, they got me on and Davey just said, baby's coming. They put my leg over David's shoulder. I pushed. She came out. She was in the call. So her whole head was covered with the amniotic sac. He caught her. David caught her. Lisa was right there assisting, but he really caught her, which was so incredible. And he was bawling and so happy. And she kept saying, she's here. She's here. And then I looked down and I'm you know, I was so in between the worlds that I I could barely look at her. I was just so exhausted and so relieved that she was out of my body. I mean, that was just the biggest relief. And um, she had a lot of black hair, which was shocking because Jemima barely had any hair and it was white blonde. So all you can hear me saying is like, she's so dark. And then they put her on my chest. They wiped her down. And... She slid off me on the bed. I couldn't even hold her. My, I was just so depleted. My arms couldn't even hold on to her. And my baby was here and it was just so incredible. And it was beautiful to have my friend Catherine and David here and Lisa and Davey. And it was just, ugh, it was the perfect dream team for me. And they did, um, you know, my exam and then weighed the baby and all that. I got right in the shower, washed my hair, got in my own warm clothes, got back into my warm, clean bed because it was all set up where you just take the dirty sheets off, throw those in the laundry. So literally after the shower, I come back into my room, which is already sparkling clean, comfy, cozy. My baby's right here next to me, having food and tea brought to me. David's already taken the birth pool down in the other room. Like it was just so seamless and so comforting and beautiful. And I just felt so good because you get the natural drugs and I just felt really, really good. And then Jemima came home and met her sister and, you know, she was a little shocked. It's a lot to take in, but she held her and she seemed happy. And then she had another birthday party to go to. And, um, So that was kind of like the interesting part of the story. I mean, my home birth was just, it was incredible. And it it really, really healed me. It completely healed me from the trauma of my first birth. And I acknowledge that that is a huge treat. And there's never any uh, promise of that. So in this case, all the stars aligned. I did my work. I had the caregivers that I really trusted and felt completely supported by. I knew if I did need to transfer to the hospital this time, I would be in the loving hands of Dr. Crane. 
who I completely trusted and admire and love. And so it just felt safe. I felt safe and supported any which way it went. And it was incredible. And it's something that I feel like I will have for the rest of my life. It is a gift I will have for the rest of my life that nothing and nobody can ever take away from me. And she healed me. She set me on this next level of my path and my work. The healing from this birth was pretty incredible. The rest of that day, it went a little wonky. So I'd had this amazing, you know, in my mind, perfect home birth, perfect, healthy baby. And then I started bleeding a lot and almost fainted on my bathroom floor. David was taking Jemima to another birthday party. Luckily, we a friend had texted that she would just come over while they left because everyone else, the caregivers had left by this time. It was the afternoon. And I was just like, I'm fucking, I'm bleeding a lot. Like, I'm going through a lot of pads. So Davy had to come back. She had to give me two IVs and I lost a lot of blood. She had to go back in, which was pretty horrific to pull some clots out of my uterus, which that was pretty thing, a pretty big thing to not be on painkillers for that. It actually felt more painful than the birth to go back in because my my whole inner inner womb, cervix, vagina, everything was so raw and sore and to have her have to go back up there um, was gnarly. But I did it. And um, by that night, everything was fine, A-OK, healing. And that's when I really um, committed to myself to do the 40 days and be my own guinea pig. And it was seriously the single best gift of my life. And that's why I'm so passionate about spreading the need for the 40 days, whatever that means to you. And I help women find what that means for themselves. But creating that sacred space for us to heal, to bond, to be together, to be quiet, to be in this womby space of my room. It was so comforting, the salt lamp on, low light, warm for six weeks, healed me in ways that I'm still unraveling. And you can never get that time back. And I'm just so grateful that I was able to and to have that time with Goldie Wolf because I was so just in love with Jemima and had almost six years with her. She was one shy, one month shy of being six years old when Goldie Wolf was born. So we'd had a long run together and we're so, you know, deeply entrenched with one another that it was really important to have this alone time with Goldie Wolf as well. Jemima was in school. So we had the days together. My husband went back to work the next day again, which you know we hadn't really planned for, but that's the way it worked out. But it was actually wonderful. I really wanted just that alone time to sleep, to breastfeed, to meditate, to listen to books on tape. I had a dear friend cooking for me and she would drop off food every couple of days and come rub my feet. I uh, got Abhyanga massages by my loving friends. Like it was just such a beautiful, beautiful time that I will never forget. And it's still resonates so deeply in my body when I think about it and brings me such peace. So those are my birth stories. Those are my two birth stories of this lifetime. I'm not having another baby. I 100% know that. That chapter of my life is over. And that feels really great too and really freeing to know that. And I'm grateful for all of it. And time heals so many wounds, but also reaching out for the help that you need is crucial for the healing process. And I hope that these stories may give you some insight to your own process or your own births. But whatever your stories are, I hope that you can own them and be a active participant in your births. Um, there's no right way to birth a baby. The most important thing is to be conscious about it and to be educated about it. So, you know, I think women feel shamed or judged by not wanting a natural birth now or having a hospital birth or having needed a cesarean and you know, the takeaway from all of that is there's no right way, but what has been happening in our culture 
is that birth outcomes were dictated by other people outside of ourselves. And that's what we want to get away from. We don't need someone telling us what we need. We need to be educated and be able to make the choices for ourselves, what's best for our own bodies and minds and our babies' bodies and minds. And, you know, knowledge is power. And then from that base of power, you can empower yourself to make the right decisions and to trust in your higher power if that's part of your belief system and know that there are things and variables around us that we may not even see that are part of our story as well. So sending love out to all you mamas. Thank you for listening and being here and bearing witness to my stories. It's so important to share with one another. I encourage you to circle up with friends or other moms and share your stories. There's so much healing and speaking our truth, bearing witness with listening open hearts and ears to one another. And we can learn and heal so much from one another. Thank you. Jay